Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the CEO and co-founder of Or Health, Jonathan Hunt Glassman. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. We're, uh, we're doing this. Let's uh, dive right in. Tell us about your background. We'll, we'll get rolling. I'll tell you a little bit about the professional side and a little bit about the personal side, which have kind of come together in Or. On the professional side, I've spent my whole career in healthcare, first as a product manager for a consumer feedback tool that was used in behavioral healthcare settings, and then after business school in strategy roles at Bain & Company in the healthcare practice for about five years, and then after that with a couple of national payers, most recently leading Medicare Advantage strategy at Humana. On the more personal side, in parallel to that fairly traditional career trajectory, I struggled with alcohol misuse pretty much my entire adult life. What began as binge drinking in high school and college became a pattern of frequently blacking out when I drank in my 20s. And then as I saw some of my peers kind of grow up and put excessive alcohol use in the rearview mirror in their late 20s and early 30s, I had the opposite experience which was those one night blackouts progressed to multi-day binges and experiencing some of the symptoms of alcohol withdrawal when I stopped those binges and tried to get back to my normal life. And over the years, sought treatment in a lot of different places, AA, therapy, emergency rooms, uh, but nothing really worked to achieve my goal of cutting back uh, until I had the good fortune to connect with a primary care physician who did two things that were new to me. One was accept my goal of moderation rather than abstinence. And the second was suggest prescription medication as a tool in the toolkit to drink less. And those two things at that point in my life were nothing short of transformational. Uh, and while that was great for me, it also raised some questions about why it had taken so long to find this simple path to recovery and well-being and why it was inaccessible to so many others. And that combination of professional and personal experiences is kind of the backstory for Orr in many ways. Thank you. Yeah, and by the way, great brand, name, colors. Been saying this phrase a lot lately, and I do not know why, but the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> I have no idea why I've been saying it lately. Um, Sometimes not even in the right context, I would say. <laughs> so, well, it's fun to say. Um, yeah, I, I think it I, is fun to say. My grandmother used to use that phrase. Yeah, why am I saying it then? <laughs> I, you know, um, I, I don't think, um, I think I heard it in uh, like an old show I watched the other day and it just kind of stuck. Well, Hopefully it goes away. <laughs> um, well, thank you for, for your background. And I know you talked a little bit about it, but let's. Let's go into it a little bit more around um, or health. So give us like the overview. I usually tell people to give us the why, how, what. You don't have to do that or you can. But, um, you know, talk us through who it's for, um, you know, why, why people are, are working with you and so sure. on. It's pretty simple. At or we help people drink less. The phrase that we probably use more than any other is less is more. And that really has two meanings to us. The more obvious one 
is that less alcohol tends to mean more time and energy in one's life for everything else. The less obvious meaning of that, though, is kind of the how of, of what we do, which is we believe that the best path to recovery and well-being for anyone who wants to drink less or to quit is the simplest path that works for them. And so our energy is dedicated to developing approachable, convenient, effective pathways that help people drink less. So far, we've really built out one of those, which is a, a way to get convenient access to safe, effective, FDA-approved medication. Uh, the clinicians practicing on our platform prescribe a medication called naltrexone, which helps cool off the pleasure and reward pathways that make uh, drinking addictive to some of us, people like me. And by giving people access to that pathway, we've found that many of the thousands of people who are, who are coming to OR are um, able to reduce their drinking to clinically uh, low or moderate risk levels versus coming in with very severe problems and are able to unlock some of those less is more benefits, more time for their family, uh, more time for work, more time for the activities that they get the most uh, fulfillment out of. The stories that stay with me and that motivate us are the people who say things like, I'm back to being the mother that I, I knew I could be um, now that I've gotten control of my drinking. Interesting. And let's, let's talk through a little bit about um, you and I were talking through some, I guess, some stats and some, some information ahead of this. Um, and you, you brought up something that was really new. I, I've never heard before and, and it was very interesting. So I want to talk more about it. Um, you know, why do less than 10% of people with alcohol use disorder actually go ahead and get treatment? Well, like a lot of big problems, there's plenty of blame to go around. I think the two stories that we hear the most often put the blame at either the feet of the people who are struggling with addiction. And so you hear that in sayings like, oh, they're not ready to change or they need to hit rock bottom first or put the blame on society at large and talk about huge factors like stigma or saying Congress doesn't allocate enough dollars uh, to this problem. And there's some truth in all of that. But what we don't do enough of is looking in the mirror in terms of people who are in the helping business or, or uh, aspire to be in the helping business. The reality is that the traditional treatment industry, which is a 30 to $40 billion industry across alcohol and drugs, has systematically built systems that are some combination of inconvenient, unscientific, and cost prohibitive. I can't think of any other industry that would be satisfied with less than 10% of the people who need the services choosing to take them up on it. And so, there are a lot of variables one could go at in attacking the societal problem of addiction. The one that we're most focused on is making starting treatment of any sort simpler and more approachable. Yeah, I, I love the way that you're uh, addressing this this major problem. Um, and thank you for sharing that uh, that information with me because I, I found that super interesting. But well. I don't, I don't want to say I'm surprised, though. 
I found it interesting, but I, I like I think back to anyone that you know I know that had maybe problems abusing alcohol, and then I think did they actually get treatment? Most of them didn't. So that that stat, while low, yeah, is is accurate. Um, you were also when we were going through this process of kind of just getting to know each other a little bit more. You're saying some words I've never even heard before, so uh, I'm going to butcher them when I ask questions about them, but, um, you were talking about basically this, was it now, now naltrexone? You got it on the, on the first try, Did which I? is very unusual. Wow. Okay. I love <laughs> it. It took me awesome. at least three months to reliably get it right. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be, a, yeah, <laughs> this is great. Um, so, so why is naltrexone, uh, the recommended frontline medication for uh, for treatment of alcohol use uh, disorder. So, so, like, but uh, sorry, but why is it so under uh, under prescribed? Yeah. I can say the the hard word. I can't say the easy <laughs> words. Um, <laughs> it's an important it's an important question. No matter no matter how you say it, because you're right that um, naltrexone is recommended in leading clinical guidelines as a frontline treatment, meaning the first thing. Um, that should be tried with folks who are experiencing moderate to severe alcohol use disorder. Um, but less than 5%, by some measures, 2% of people with AUD actually get a prescription for naltrexone or any of the other medications approved by the FDA to treat AUD. In my mind, there are three main reasons for that. One is that naltrexone has been available generically since before the era of direct-to-consumer pharma advertising really began. And so there's no particular pharmaceutical company that has the economic incentive to make naltrexone a household name like Viagra or Prozac. Uh, two, physicians in the United States still get a shockingly low level of training on how to treat addiction. So unlike the primary care physician I was lucky enough to encounter, many don't feel competent or comfortable to treat addiction in their offices, even though they do have tools like naltrexone available to them. And then the last reason is a lot of the more traditional treatment options that we all think of first have not built medication in their treatment program. Sometimes that's a capacity issue. They may not have prescribers on staff. Um, in others, it's more of a philosophical issue where they haven't updated their programs to take advantage of all of the tools of modern medicine. But if you ask me, none of those three reasons is really an adequate explanation. None of them is a good excuse. And it's that dissatisfaction with the status quo that's a big part of the reason we have a company called, called Orhel. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited for, for, for you and what you're building. So needed. Um, we need to continue to get better in this space. Uh, there's so, I, I don't know the exact number. I mean, you probably do, but as far in terms of how many people are affected um, by this and uh, do you yeah, know that? I mean, do it's you a have huge, the number? It's a huge number. So I'll give you a couple. Um, the best estimate is that 28 million people in the U.S. meet the diagnostic criteria for alcohol use disorder, 60 million plus binge drink monthly, 
and research we've conducted suggests that as many as 70 million want to drink less or to quit. Um, so we're talking about huge portions of the population who could get more out of life if they could take some steps to drink less alcohol. Absolutely. Wow. Um, and what's next for you? What's next for you? What's next for Oral Health? Uh, so we're still at the beginning of our journey. We feel like we've built out one simple, effective pathway to help people drink less, which is oriented around medication-assisted treatment. Uh, so what's next for us is more simple, effective pathways, things like community and digital therapeutics. And then secondly, understanding what other types of addictions and compulsions this sort of model of less is more could be effective with. We know there are millions more who are affected by things like smoking, gambling addiction. Um, so we're curious to explore those as well. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm super excited for you and the team. Uh, continue building something really special. And I can't wait to already have you come back on the podcast to, to share, you know, what's new. And then we, maybe we can get you on a panel um, with uh, not just people in like the kind of the, the alcohol uh, side of things, but like we can have a whole panel on substance abuse. I know people over at... Um, Ophelia and some of these other companies as well that I know would love to, to join you on a panel to, to talk about the, you know, these super important that issues. That would be terrific. We're lucky to not be alone in recognizing the potential of digital health to make it easier to get access to care in this, this area where historically that's not been the case. So thanks so much for having me, uh, Jared, and I look forward to the next time. Likewise.